As we remember uh, the death of Jesus and its significance to us, and before we come to the Lord's table, uh, we will now hear uh, the Word of God from John 6, verses 52 to 59. Please rise once again as we read God's Word together. This is the word of the Lord. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in a synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. This is the reading of God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I know last week we encouraged the church to invite friends and family for times of worship. And today you hear that the scripture that was chosen (laughs) is a bit of a strange one, is a bit of a graphic one. Oftentimes as we focus on Good Friday and the coming celebration of Easter, we fix our eyes on the cross of Jesus Christ. We fix our eyes on the sacrifice that he has made. And we desire, though with trembled hearts, to draw near to it in such a way where we would see our sins afresh but that we would see our Savior even greater. Today, as we indeed do fix our eyes on the cross once more, as we fix our gaze on Jesus, our Savior, I wanted to spend a little time thinking about, meditating, chewing, what it is that Jesus offers to us. You know, I think it's beautiful to mention that Before our Lord and Savior went on that path to Calvary to give his life on the cross, he spent time with his disciples and his followers. He broke bread, he drank wine, and he set a table for them. A table that has endured throughout all the ages, so that until the ransomed church of God, be saved to sin no more, can partake of it and proclaim the coming of Jesus Christ once more. So friends, as we look at our text today, it is indeed strong words, graphic words that Jesus says. He says some difficult things for us to understand and perceive. But Jesus uses bread and wine to teach us about true life. Our prayer this evening, then, is a simple one. Give us bread, give us wine, give us life. Or in short, 
Give us Christ. So the first thing we'll look at today is give us bread. All throughout the gospel, Jesus repeatedly says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And just before our text here today, towards the end of chapter 6 in the gospel of John, if we recall back, we remember that Jesus was teaching. And as he was teaching, many had gathered, we're told, at least 5,000 were numbered. And as the day went and as he taught, the people stayed and grew hungry. And even though his disciples said, teacher, let's let them go, Jesus said, no, you feed them. And though it would be an impossible task through the faith of a small child, Jesus, filled with compassion and miracle, fed all those who drew near to him. And as the story goes, we know that the people were so enamored, some perhaps indeed by the Christ himself, but probably for the vast majority, simply for the miraculous endeavor that this one man somehow fed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves. So the people, as they stir up with excitement, with curiosity, with faith to some degree, follow after Jesus. They go across land and sea in pursuit of Jesus. They want more. They want more. They want more. But we see that it's not so much of Jesus that they want more of, but they want more bread. And the teaching goes on that Jesus desires indeed to fill and sustain us physically, but he desires to give us something more everlasting Something that sustains not just our bodies, but our souls for all eternity. And so he speaks. And to say, I am the bread of life. You have to partake of my flesh. He is offering a spiritual bread for a spiritually hungry and dying people. If you look in verse 53 with me up here, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. What is He talking about? We're told here in our text that these words were a bit alarming. It scared people. It freaked them out. The Jews disputed among themselves. They're like, wait a minute now. What is this man talking about? saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Yet here we see that the Jews are still only thinking with their stomachs, thinking only physically and about the material needs. But Jesus is speaking in symbolic ways to teach them deep spiritual truths that he indeed is the bread of life that He fills our souls, and He satisfies us. Friends, this evening, this Good Friday, we've gathered here to worship. To worship. Not to go through a tradition or habit or because there is no elsewhere to go. But we've gathered to worship. Why? So that we would remember that Jesus, the Son of God, came down 
and offered his life, his body broken on the cross, so that as we partake in him, we would find true bread for eternal life. Verse 54 in chapter 6, if you look up, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. We see the partaking of Jesus' body and the partaking of his blood is not just a religious act. It's not just something that we do because it's very mystical and strange and somehow powerful. But we do it because by doing, by coming, by partaking with our Lord, he promises to raise us up, to raise us up to lift us up on that last day where we may only cross the shadow of death that the glorious cross of Christ has already defeated. Friends, in many ways during the pandemic, if we're honest, we've indulged ourselves more than ever on the things of this world. I know I have. We found new hobbies, new adventures, new communities in hopes that we would feel alive, in hopes that we would feel connected once more. However, on that last day when our time is up, new hobbies, new adventures, new communities cannot raise us up. In fact, in the day-to-day, as many of you struggle now at work with raising children, with sleepless nights, with the worries of inflation and economy and the sickness of aging parents, and all and everything in between that we endure through life, let me ask you truly, what can lift you up? Through the discouragements, through the overwhelming sense of defeat, through loss, what can lift us up? Well, Jesus reminds us, if we come and partake of this bread, this true bread, we will have eternal life and that he will raise us up. He will raise us up. His assurance goes deeper. Look in verse 39 to 40. You've heard it before, but I'll read it again. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all. That means he won't lose a single one that has been entrusted to him. Not a single sheep, not a single child or man or woman that has been wonderfully and fearfully made and knitted in the quiet secret places of the mother's womb, of the ones who've been chosen before the foundations of the earth in Jesus Christ so that they may be holy and spotless. Jesus will not lose a single person that has been entrusted to him. But what does it say? But raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. And if the promise of our Lord to us is that we will be raised on the last day, we know that all throughout our days we can lift up and look and know that our help comes from the Lord. And friends, we know that this is only possible indeed because of the cross of Christ. Because His body was broken for us so that our lives would be made whole in Him. 
So he says, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. And the first part of our prayer this evening is, Lord, give us bread. Give us true bread. The second part of our prayer this evening is, give us wine. Lord, give us true wine. In chapter 2 of John's Gospel, if you recall, we're told that Jesus is at a wedding. There is a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And during the festivities, during the celebration, the wine went dry. And so Jesus' mother comes to him and lets him know and says, we've run out of wine. Look how Jesus responds in chapter 2, verse 4 with me. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. You know, some of the theologians will point to this type of rhythm and this sense of time and this awareness of of this specific time that that Jesus alludes to, this this pointing towards, this this running towards, this climactic build to Jesus' appointed time, his hour. What seems like harsh words to his mother reveals a deeper truth. Jesus has a specific time in mind when he will give true wine to those who are invited to his wedding feast. A wedding feast, a banquet, a celebration where the wine will never run dry. A banquet, a celebration where Jesus himself, having shed his blood, fills fills the table with all those who have been ransomed, you and I. Isn't it amazing to think that as Jesus prepared for the cross, as his hour drew near, in many ways he was preparing a table. He was giving invitations. And although in chapter 2 in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. In chapter 12, we see that it has. If you look with me here, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Verse 32, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. As Jesus goes to the cross, as his body is broken, and as he offers bread, he also offers his blood, the atoning blood, the blood that will somehow in summation call to mind all the Old Testament needs and rituals, a blood, an innocent blood, to wipe away sin, a sacrifice to make atonement, to cleanse a people. With all of this in mind, Jesus says, take my blood, drink ye all of it. He calls his people to partake in his blood. Why? Because as he is the perfect spotless lamb who has given his life, he sheds his blood for his people so that our sins would be wiped away and that we would be made white as snow. And Jesus gives this illustration here. 
Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Many of us are familiar with 1 Corinthians 15 as it alludes to Jesus as the first fruits. And if that is the case, we also know, just as Jesus is the first fruits, all those who have been ransomed by the blood of Christ is the harvest. Or in the words of Jesus, much fruit that he bears. Friends, this is why we sing a song strange and dim, but filled with life and hope. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. What about these, Lord? What about these egregious ones, the ugly ones, the stains that seem to stay? Lose all their guilty stains. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. On Good Friday, many years ago, as Jesus went to the cross, as he shared that table with his disciples, that hour came. And at that hour, Christ himself gave and shed his blood. Our prayer is, Lord, give us bread, give us wine, and third, give us life. You know, most religious practices and enlightenment say something along or to the effect of this, right, that you have to achieve or attain a certain level of focus or desire or clarity before somehow you can understand the world around you and, and, and yourself. Most religious practices, most enlightened movements, most uh, religious types of movements have that type of notion. First, you have to reach or achieve or obtain or find in order to have now this Understanding or this life or this sense of newness. A few cheap illustrations because I'm not too well of a learned man, but it reminds me of Christopher Nolan's Batman. Batman begins as Bruce Wayne is on this journey to seek true justice. A strange man comes to him and tells him, you'll find what you're looking for if you could take this little blue flower and take it up to the mountain. And if you survive and if you can bring it, then we'll teach you. That's the way the world works often. That's the way much philosophy works. If you can attain, if you can climb, if you can, if you can grind it out and, and, and achieve, then you will achieve some kind of enlightenment. And Marvel's Doctor Strange, as his hands are shattered, as his whole life is ruined, as he seeks true healing, he's told he has to find some hidden mystical temple in the mountains of Tibet. And only then will you find true healing. Well, friends, we're not here because it's simply religious duty. We're not here because it's some kind of habit and tradition we must keep. 
But we're here because Jesus, as he invites us, speaks a word. His blood speaks a better word that is far different from the words of this world. He doesn't say you have to first achieve, first attain, first climb, first find. And then you can understand, and then you can have, and then you can enjoy, and then you can partake. No, Jesus says, come. Here. This is my body. This is my blood. And if you partake of it, you will have life. Abundant life. Life to the fullest. Eternal life. We're here worshiping together because Jesus gives us something so much better. You know, what's interesting, as chapter 6 starts, many people gathered. There were 5,000 at least. Many people chased after him across the water and on the land. Many people wanted to follow Jesus. But after Jesus says this, later on chapter 6, you have to eat my flesh, drink my blood. They say, whoa, wait a minute now. What is he talking about? We're told that many left. When it came down to it, when the offer was made, when the call to lay down our lives and to partake what is better, many left. Look in verse 66 to 69 with me. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I don't know what led many of us to Jesus. Perhaps it was simply a desire for a better moral life with good luck sprinkled on top. Perhaps it was a vague sense of bettering ourselves or being a good person or getting back into religiosity that we knew as a child. But Jesus speaks simply and strongly and lovingly. If you want to follow him, then you must partake of his flesh and his blood. Meaning, you must pick up your cross and follow him, knowing that as you lay down your life, you will truly live. Friends, the cross of Christ as violent, as gruesome, as graphic as it may be, simply turns into a doorway. That old rugged cross simply turns into a doorway that invites us to a wedding feast. Yes, right now on this side of glory, we partake in remembrance as we look forward. But we partake knowing that someday crumbs and morsels of bread and small drums of wine will be a wedding feast for, to enjoy for all eternity. Friends, let us not turn away today as many did when Jesus first spoke these words. Let us look to him and know that the cross of Christ invites us in to the table of Christ. Let our prayers tonight be simple. 
Lord, give us bread. Lord, give us wine. Lord, give us eternal life in you. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are gracious and that your steadfast love endures forever. We thank you that on this day you have sent your son to die on the cross in our stead that our stains and our sins will be wiped away. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that as a faithful son, you were obedient to the purposes of the Father. As you drank the cup of wrath, you offered to us your body that was broken and your blood that is shed so that we would have eternal life in you. So we pray, Lord, now as we come to you in prayer that by your spirit you would stir in our hearts a renewal, a revival, a desire for deep repentance, knowing that you give us eternal life, wine that satisfies, bread that sustains for all eternity. Lord, as we prepare our hearts this evening to hear the call to your holy table, we pray that your spirit would now lead us to a genuine place of repentance, that you would return the joy of your salvation, that our bones may feel alive again, that our hearts would overflow, and that our lips will profess that you are our Lord and Savior. Lord, stir in our hearts now. Lead us in a time of prayer. I ask that you continue in a few minutes in a time of prayer as the Spirit leads you to go to Jesus in a time of repentance, a time of reflection, knowing that the cross leads us to Christ and the banquet table he has prepared for us. Let's spend a few minutes in prayer. <laughs>